This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Damon Realty. Damon Realty, serving the greater Chicago area. We just had two amazing properties open up, one of which requires only minimal reflooring. Damon Realty is under no legal obligation to disclose any other anomalies, including but not limited to multiple homicide or haunting. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, it's haunted houses, kind of again. With 1985's House and 1999's Stir of Echoes. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. Okay. What is the name of the character played by Bella Lugosi in 1941's The Wolfman? All right. Well, Bella Lugosi is the gypsy dude. That is correct. Uh, I can't think of it. What is it? Bella. (laughs) That's right. Fucking hell. That's right. All right, Kelsey. The plot of what film is set in motion when the entire population of an English village falls unconscious? What happens when they all go unconscious? No, what movie is that village of the damned yes they put village in there made yeah. it real easy <laughs> <laughs> from 1960 okay Kelsey. i thought you were asking what was gonna what was happening what when happened they, when they were they all get, knocked out they get pregnant <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> all right moving on to our first movie which is 1985's house and let me tell you Two things about this movie before we even get started. Number one, it's almost impossible to Google, to look up in any Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, CinemaScore, Wikipedia even. Because what do you Google? House? 1985. Yeah, only sources can't decide whether it's 1985 or 1986. We usually go by IMDb and... IMDb says 1985, but Wikipedia says 1986. I literally had to type into Wikipedia's search function because there were over 500 results when I tried to Google this. <laughs> Even just house film. It didn't work. I had to put house, open parentheses, 1986 film, close parentheses, and then I could search and it would take me there. It was absolutely ridiculous. How did I get to Rotten Tomatoes, do you ask? Well, I couldn't use Rotten Tomatoes search feature at all. I had to open up iTunes, because I know if you can find the movie in iTunes, it shows their Rotten Tomatoes score there, and get into it that way. (laughs) That's how difficult it was to do anything on the internet related to this movie. That's number one. Number two, have you ever heard of a concept called semantic satiation or semantic saturation? No. It's the concept where, I mean, usually it refers to audio, but it also refers to actual spelling, words on a page. Okay. Where you see or hear a word so much that it loses meaning and becomes oh. gibberish. Yeah. 
Yes, that happened to me. House just did not look right for a long time, looking at the word house so much. Marshmallow was the first word I remember from being a young kid that that ever happened to me on. And I thought that was the weirdest fucking thing. So when I found out there was a term for it, I committed that to memory. (laughs) It is a weird feeling when it happens. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're just like, I know that's a word, but my brain is telling me it's not. So we are going to talk about 1985's House. Subtitled, by the way, Ding Dong, You're Dead. (laughs) Directed by Steve Miner. Written by Fred Decker and Ethan Wiley and starring William Catt, Kay Lenz, George Went, and Richard Maul, what is House about? A writer inherits a house from his aunt who claimed that the house was haunted and he goes there and finds out if it really is. Good. Like it. Should people watch it? Yes. Yeah. Because it is weird. I it was, is weird. I was not expecting it. Like the first, be- the beginning part is pretty good, and then it just goes r- into weird places that you weren't expecting. It, it is to. apparently in the original script. It didn't have any humor in it whatsoever. That was done in the rewrites, and it commits to comedy. It does in much the same way that Sam Raimi does. But it's not anywhere near the caliber of a like Evil Dead Two, for instance. Right? Yeah, it's not quite there. But like, but if you want to the- see like silly monsters in costumes, very silly and monsters, dropping jokes and laughing and stuff, and bizarre, bizarre concept. It's a very strange movie. It is strange because it's not really a haunted house. But we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of. Kind that's of. Not, that's not what it ends up being about. <laughs> All right. Well, you can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1985's House. Ding dong, you're dead. <laughs> this is a house where no one should live. Someone lived here before you was nuts. Wouldn't be surprised if someone just got fed up and off her. She was my aunt. Heart of gold, though. Roger Cobb has come here alone. Daddy? (laughs) But no one is ever alone in the house. This house knows everything about you. Leave while you can. No! It has been waiting for him. Now, it wants you. Horror has found a new home house. Enter at your own risk. All right, Kelsey, can you get us started on the plot of house? So we get to see this really pretty house. It's a Victorian house. I love... That architecture. Yes. And we get some weird colors over the house at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then there's this grocery boy who that's literally how he identifies himself. It's the grocery boy. Uh-huh. I'm the um, grocery boy. Mrs. Hooper, it's me, the grocery boy. Hello. Is <laughs> coming Hooper. into this lady's house. I also love, I love that movies... Think that we don't know why people have like paper bags. 
they need to tell us those are groceries. And the so, way like, that things need to stick th- out of them? stick out of them. <laughs> like an entire French baguette. <laughs> yes. Or, like, this had, like, a whole bunch of, like, stalks of celery. And I'm like, uh-huh. who doesn't put their celery into a plastic bag? <laughs> Who's just, like, just throws it in their paper uh-huh. bag? Like, let the elements all get to it? Yeah, and either it's completely dry and wilting, or it's getting water over everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> Movies just always do that Uh Because they think we're dumb And can't figure out what grocery bags are Uh, He walks in, there's this gorgeous Stained glass window Of a peacock that will go nowhere Like it doesn't have any purpose But it's just always there It's very Mm -hmm. pretty I would love to have stained glass in my house someday Yeah, that'd be nice We We have a stained glass puzzle that we put together Yeah that's really cool. We put it in a frame that lets light pass through it and put it up in our window. Yes. Kelsey's looking at it right now. <laughs> it's very pretty. But so he goes in, he's looking for Mrs. Hooper, and he goes into her bedroom and he finds her just as she has or no, I think she's just hanging there. Whatever. She's hung. She herself. swings into view, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Um it's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> just walked oh, in out of nowhere. Suicide. Yeah. <laughs> so then after that, we get to meet our main character. Roger Cobb, played by William Cat. Who again? Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could be so free. Flying along on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. The greatest American hero. Not the real American hero. (laughs) G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. Like I said in the last episode. Yes, I know him as Tommy Ross. Yes. Who takes Carrie to the prom. Yeah. So he is a writer. He comes home. They're trying to show us that he has a kind of a shitty life. He just takes a box out of the freezer, throws it in the microwave. Yeah, doesn't even open it, peel back the plastic, just throws the box wholesale (laughs) into that microwave. (laughs) He has an old-ass computer. Yeah. Like, the whole thing is sitting on his dining room table. (laughs) Giant computer, monitor, printer thing hooked up. Yeah. And... When he sits down to do it, he sits on a chair to that's higher. It. He sits down to do it. Sits down to write. The chair is like too high. Yeah. So he needs to like so lean he over. He needs to like to lean down. over. Yeah. It's just like he's a writer. That is what is he's supposed to be doing most of his time. That would yeah. be so uncomfortable and painful. I use a little tray that's specifically made for this that I can change in height and angle. And whenever wherever I sit, I can use that. <laughs> he should have gotten one as well. Yes. So Roger Cobb is alone in his home because he and his wife have separated after the disappearance of their son, Jimmy. And Jimmy was outside with Roger and Roger looked the other way or something. And when he turns back, his son is gone and he runs out and his wife's like, what's going on? And he's like, where's Jimmy? Was he with you? And they're looking everywhere and they can't find him until... He sees him flailing around in the pool. Just like in Burnt Offerings. Yes, and jumps into the pool to look for him. 
And that causes commotion on the surface of the water, makes it hard for him to see. So he dives down in several times, but ultimately comes up empty handed. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. Yeah. So Jimmy is gone and Roger and his wife are separated. So he is at home alone and trying to write another book because it's been so long since the last book that he wrote. We actually see him signing autographs in his books and we see all the weird people that come up and say hi to them. I imagine that's pretty close to what the experience is actually like for people. (laughs) And he decides instead of writing another horror novel, he wants to write about what he went through in Vietnam because it still haunts him to this day. And he feels like if he can get it all out into a book, he can free himself of that weight. So he finds out his aunt committed suicide and he goes to her funeral. Oh, and we didn't mention that when the boy disappeared, the aunt said it was the house. Yeah, and the and the wife told her to shut up and got all upset about it and she's like, "Oh, will you shut up, you old bat?" Yeah, it's the testy or whatever it is that she says. It was the house. It was the house that did it. Right, Mrs. Hooper, we understand. Telling you, Roger, it's the house. Will you shut up? Will you shut up just for once, you old bat? Touchy. That's where you start to get the hints that it could be that, oh, the ant is just nuts. Or it could be that this is actually a comedy. It doesn't quite nail it down yet. And it really doesn't until he sees his first, like, monster. Yeah, then it changes. Which is a while into the movie. Yeah. He visits his aunt's home, and he's talking to the realtor who works for Craven Realty, by the way. Probably a reference to Wes Craven. Also, his aunt's name is Hooper, potentially a reference to Toby Toby Hooper. Hooper. And he decides he's not going to sell it. He was raised there by his aunt, and he's going to stay. And, of course, this upsets the realtor. Yes, and when he's in there, he's visited by his aunt. He has a vision of her. Yeah. And she says, it tricked me. I didn't think it could, but it did. It knows everything about you. Get out while you can. Yeah. But will he? Of course not. They never do. No. So throughout the movie, especially while he's trying to write, he is plagued by visions of his time in Vietnam, as we knew he would be. And we get to see this whole event play out. And we'll just tell you right now what this event is. He is teamed up in his squad with this giant man named Ben, who is, among other things, Bull from Night Court, played by Richard Mole. And he is a reckless type. He was wearing his bandana and stuff. And they go up ahead to scout ahead. Roger is telling Ben to shut up because Ben's being too loud. And at one point, Ben gets shot. And they're trying to fight off, I assume, the Viet Cong. And when Ben is caught, he begs Roger to kill him. And Roger can't bring himself to do it. So instead, Ben gets dragged away by the Viet Cong. And we assume to die, potentially after bad things have happened to him. Weeks of torture. Yes. And this this is the flashbacks. Just know we get this, you know, piece by piece in his flashbacks throughout the movie. Yeah, you don't know that entire story till towards the end yes so he decides he's going to confront the scary closet in his aunt's bedroom 
And it takes him a while. He decides, ah, no, I don't need to do it. And then he decides, no, I'm being silly. I'm just going to open the door and take a look at the closet. And when he does, it's just an empty closet and there's nothing going on there. Until. (laughs) It's not until later. When it becomes. Midnight. (laughs) The witching hour. (laughs) That he decides. I don't even think midnight is actually the witching hour. (laughs) Is it? Let me see. I got to. I got to know now. I think it's like three o'clock or something. In the Western Christian tradition, the hour between three and four was considered a period of peak supernatural activity due to the absence of prayers in the canonical hours during this period. Women caught outside without sufficient reason during this time were sometimes executed on suspicion of witchcraft. Wow. The phrase witching hour was first recorded in 1835. More recently, the hours between midnight and 2 a.m. have been considered the witching hour. So we're both right. And he does go up where he hears noises or whatever, and he opens the door, and ah, there's this giant demon thing that comes crashing out of it, and holy crap. It's very Hellraiser. But it's, like, frightening. Like, it comes out of nowhere. You are not expecting it. You're a little tense, but you don't expect full-on giant demon to come popping out of this <laughs> out of this door. And, maybe contrary to what you might expect to see in a movie, Roger gets very... Oh, I need to prove that this just happened. He manages to close the door. We haven't said that he has a neighbor. Yes. Played by George Norman. Went. Norm from Cheers. Norman. Afternoon, everybody. Norm! Norman. And he <laughs> he seems really interested in Roger. I think it's because he's a fan of his books. Yeah. And he's just kind of in his house after this like crazy thing happens, yeah, uh-huh. you know, at midnight. When you're over at your friends' houses without <laughs> announcing yourself. But he's just like, hey, Roger, what you doing? <laughs> hey, Roger. What you doing? Because Roger has set up tons of video cameras and he strings up the door so he can pull it open from behind the cameras and lights and everything set up so he can prove that it actually happens. He doesn't manage to do so at first, though. Yeah, he tries to show him and it's like, it's not midnight, dude. What are yeah, you doing? Exactly. And then Norman says, your aunt was Looney Tunes when he explains why he's doing what he's doing. Do you believe in ghosts? Well, what kind of ghosts? My aunt thought this house was haunted. No offense, Roger, but your aunt was Looney Tunes. Yes. And he's talking to his wife throughout this, who's a big celebrity, apparently, a big actress. And she misses him and he misses her and they don't know how to behave around each other and he keeps beating himself up for being an idiot whenever he talks to her and ultimately Harold who is George Wentz's character calls her up and is like yo there's something wrong with your boy here I don't know what's up could you come over and check him out maybe Uh, this is gonna sound a little strange but I thought I should call you because I don't think Roger's got his act together what do you mean uh, he's having flashbacks or something. Seeing strange things. Ghosts and stuff. I, oh my god. Yeah, I think you uh, ought to come up here and check the guy out. And so she does. She shows up. In the meantime, he gets attacked by his garden tools. <laughs> by his garden tools? Yeah. <laughs> tools, accidents from tools. Yeah, it's just like in Beaster Day. The garden tools actually attack him. And they're flying around everywhere, and he needs to avoid them by closing a door. Uh, and oh my god, this is when we see the demon. So. Oh god. The wife shows up. 
and he's got like a shotgun. And at some point, she just turns into this demonic version of herself, like a deadite version of her. But it's like this big, fat, foamy green suit. It's like bluish. Is it blue? Yeah, like bluish gray, I think. With with lipstick and yeah, makeup on. Yeah, with like a crazy, and, yeah. like female face. But it's like this big squashy thing that runs after him. And it's it's funny and it's also creepy. Kelsey I like it. talked about how... The movies from last week might have been better served if they were played as comedies and maybe made by Peter Jackson. This gave me a real big Peter Jackson feel. Yeah. Definitely. And And it's so funny. This is like I guess uh-huh. it's like it's like made out of foam, so it's kind of squashy when it moves, and yeah. it's really funny to watch. He ends up shooting her with the shotgun out the front door. When it is revealed that it is just his wife. Sandy. And because shotguns are going off, Harold has called the cops. And he drags... when the guy from Supernatural shows up? Yes. He drags Sandy's body into the room underneath the stairs, a la Harry Potter, and shoves her in there. And the cops show up, including Stephen Williams... Who is in a lot of things, but he's Mr. X in the X-Files. Most people probably know him as. He's the grandfather in It. Hanlon. Mike's grandpa? Yeah. Uh-huh. Even though it's supposed to be about yes. Mike's dad? Whatever. It's such an inconsequential change. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's one of the other hunters in Supernatural. Yay! Yay! P.S. Quick Supernatural check-in. Supernatural check-in! Carry on my- we just saw an episode where that guy helps Stephen Williams helps Bobby what is it Bobby Bobby helps Bobby get through his his dreams or his subconscious yeah because he's in a coma and he's about to die and important moments are flashing in front of his eyes which is almost exactly what his role is in The Leftovers Yes, he does appear in the subconscious world before death. Yes, in a way you could definitely argue that. Yes, and uh, in both he's supposed to be guiding them yeah. towards the exit. But in Supernatural, it's because he had a similar experience and Bobby remembered that. So in his <laughs> past, he interacts with his old buddy who who just went through that experience is like okay tell me how you got how you woke up how you got out of your coma and then they work together to get him out of his coma and it's a really cute episode until the end of the episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that was our supernatural check in there'll be peace when you are done and it's you know <laughs> he's out on his front porch cleaning his gun because <laughs> he needs to explain why his shotgun's out there and, oh, I didn't realize it was loaded. It actually went off. And it's just a series of, you know, nervous or the cop's going to notice when the door swings open and he has to shut it when he has the shotgun shells on the ground. And Harold George Went inserts himself in this whole scenario as well. He's always around. But nothing ends up ultimately happening. And when he goes back to that storage space, she's gone. And then it's behind him. Is it still alive at that point? Yeah. And it and it goes to get him, and it's like, say your prayers. Where's your son, Roger? You'll never find him. <laughs> He's dead. He's not dead. 
some place in this house. Oh, right. And then he ends up defeating her by opening up a, the door where he had stored his possessed garden tools. Yes. And, and they, they attack her and the garden shears cut her head off. And then he needs to bury her because he has just this body of this giant demon thing that he carries outside rolled up in trash bags and all taped up or all roped up and everything when he finds a stranger in his pool <laughs> who is just this sexy foreign lady <laughs> and she's like oh what is that a sapling like for a tree or something like that it's like yeah that's it i'm gonna bury it it's a sapling and he's and the the corpse is starting to move and he needs to like hit it and get yeah, her out she, of there she's and, like maybe we could uh, like have a date or something he's like absolutely any other time. Because <laughs> he's trying to stop this hand from getting out. Kind of like in uh, Trick or Treat, when the body is still alive. Yes. Uh-huh, <laughs> and he hits it. and Yeah. Uh-huh. And so she... The dog ends up getting the hand in its mouth. Yes. She leaves, and he buries the body, but the dog with the hand... Yeah, so again, like in Evil Dead 2, Idle Hands, the hand is now creeping around trying to kill people. Yes. So later on, she shows up. She surprises him by showing up and saying, I need you to babysit. I have a kid. Here's my kid. Bye. This is around the time when I wrote, I must have missed the signs that this was a comedy (laughs) at the beginning of the film. Like, when did this change happen? Well, yeah, I didn't expect the movie to be silly either. There's in the in the scene where the tools attack him, this giant marlin that his uncle caught uh, comes to life like the deer in Evil Dead, and it starts moving around and it needs to shoot it. Yeah, which I thought was so dumb. I was like, it's it's stuck to the wall. Uh-huh. It can't get to you. <laughs> also, it's a fish. <laughs> I genuinely guffawed <laughs> when he opened the door and found the tools just floating there. <laughs> like, I laughed out loud. And similarly, when he did it again, when they killed the Deadite Sandy. But when he when she drops off her kid, he realizes that the Deadite hand is on the kid's back. Yes. Uh, I gotta take the kid to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, so he grabs the kid, the kid the and takes him to the bathroom. The kid's like, get off of me! And it's just like, Jesus Christ. And the kid starts freaking out, but he needs to, like, bite the hand to make it let go of the kid. And the he kid doesn't say anything. flushing it down the toilet. Which is bizarre, but Very. it happens. And the kid doesn't say anything, so okay. And and she's just like, even though you just took took my kid into the bathroom and made him cry, watch him. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. So this is when it starts getting a little weird. A little. <laughs> just starts to. Yes. So there are these creatures that kidnap the kid. And they take him up the chimney, just like in Krampus. Yeah, uh-huh. And he's trying to save the kid, and the kid is freaking out. But ultimately, he's like, I don't know that there's anything really wrong with this. He's kind of having fun a little bit, right? But eventually, she comes and takes the baby, and he's left alone. It's not a baby. It's a kid. It's a kid. Yeah, whatever. You're right. It's babysitting. <laughs> and he opens up his medicine cabinet, and there's just an empty void and he looks out his bathroom window and sees the outside of his house. <laughs> and then he looks in the medicine cabinet and there's just this void and he hears his son. 
So he decides, I'm going in. And he grabs the shotgun, he grabs a long rope, he throws it down, and he starts rappelling down. And there's this flying, like, it's a deadite. It's the deadite from the end of Evil 2, Evil e- Dead 2, yes, the one where it's uh-huh. flying around and he's in medieval times. It, it, it's totally the same thing. It steals his his gun and then starts, like, swinging it around. Like, you know, he it reloads it with a twirl, like he's Arnold Schwarzenegger or something <laughs> like that. But ultimately... He's he able loses to, the gun, yeah. and the deadite shoots the, the rope. <laughs> yes, and he falls down to the ground, and... Falls into water. And he's in Vietnam again, Yeah, right? <laughs> this is when I wrote, the further this whole time was Nam? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. But he does end up finding Jimmy, ultimately. He ends up finding Jimmy, but he also encounters Ben. As a zombie. Yes, and he's this giant Vietnam veteran zombie-looking thing. Picture Vietnam soldier zombie. That's Ben. Yeah. <laughs> as big as Richard Mole is. And he's chasing them and firing at them, and he grabs Jimmy and dives into the water, and when he comes back up, they're in their pool, which is, you know, cool. I, I thought that was kind of awesome. I thought that was a little bit cool. But Ben doesn't stop hunting them even in the real world. He appears in the real world and and tells him, yes, I was taken prisoner, I was tortured, and then I died, and I blame you because you didn't save me and you didn't kill me. So I took your son. Yes. Uh-huh. So what, I mean, you, so what I meant at the very beginning is it's not the house that's haunted, it's him. It's, it's He's being haunted Roger, by a yeah. ghost. Uh-huh. Kind of like... Insidious. I moved houses for you. (laughs) I moved houses for you. God, I love that line. So they end up fighting and ultimately Roger takes a grenade from off of Ben and pulls the pin and shoves it inside of Ben. So he blows up and there's this big explosion in the house. And he comes stumbling outside with his son, only to see a taxi pull up with Sandy, his wife. And she comes out of it. She was never actually there. Yeah. You know, she's excited to see her son is back. He found the son. And they reunite, and they're all happy, and that's the end end of the movie. So, Kelsey, Hmm. do you have any other thoughts? Lightning round. Do you remember the harpoon? Yeah, when Harold like I remember almost when shoots they first- No, it's the it's the realtor almost shoots him with the harpoon. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? Uh-huh. We didn't talk about the whole thing where the monster actually does appear in front of Harold and Harold shoots it with the harpoon and yeah, he gets dragged into Nam that way. Harold I think passes out because of it and Roger just takes him home. <laughs> There's a lot of mirror shots in this movie that add up to nothing. Yes. Like, there's so many times when he's in front of a mirror and you think something's going to pop up never once. No, and instead it's something that's actually behind the mirror that's the important part. Yes. This movie had three sequels. What? It had three sequels. I've never even heard of this. It is it one, two, and three? House, house two, house three? Is it really? And house four. Oh, my God. Yes. And they have subtitles. House 4 is subtitled The Repossession. But there was never a possession. Oh, repossession of the house? I would assume. Uh... (laughs) But also possession. House 3, The Horror Show. I don't know if it takes place on TV or something like that. Is there a film crew in the house now or something? But 
I went backwards because the second one has the best subtitle. It is called House 2, The Second Story. Nice. Yeah. It's pretty clever. <laughs> is is he in any of them? So he's not in the sequel, but John Ratzenberger is Cliff Clavin from Cheers. So Norm is in the first one and Cliff is in the second one. Huh. Also an actor by the name of John Jonathan Stark. Which is, you know, get it? Mm-hmm. House 3, The Horror Show, stars Lance Henriksen. Who's that? You, God, remember there was a show called Millennium? Nope. That came out around the Millennium? Nope. Okay, he's also Bishop from Aliens. He's the droid in Aliens. Oh, okay, I know him. Not Alien, but Aliens, yeah. The good droid. Yes, not the evil one. Spoilers. <laughs> Detective Lucas McCarthy finally apprehends Meat Cleaver Max and watches the electric chair execution from the audience, but killing Max only elevated him to another level of Jesus. And then House 4's subtitle, I know the subtitle is Repossession, but the tagline is Home Deadly Home. Now this one actually does have William Cat playing Roger Cobb, but he is killed. <laughs> and his family has to move into the house. Mm. So that's the story to that one. <laughs> that's crazy, though, because I had yeah. never heard of it. Had you? I've heard of House the Second Story, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I knew that house existed, but I had no idea what it was or anything like that. It was actually... Produced by, by Sean S. Cunningham, who did Friday the 13th. It The music was done by Harry Manfredini. He's the guy who did the music for Friday the 13th. <laughs> and Slaughter High. Nice. Yeah. The, the stunt coordinator is actually Kane Hodder, who played... Jason in the Friday the 13th movies, he's the main guy. When you think of the actors who play Jason, you, you're probably thinking of Kane Hodder. He's the guy from The Wishmaster who gets turned into the glass door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the director, Steve Miner, he directed Friday the 13th Part 2, which is the first movie that actually had Jason as the villain. So there's a lot of key connections to Friday the 13th here. How interesting. At one point, I don't remember why, we see a, a toy car. Oh, because he wants, the, the ghost wants him to go into his son's room. So a toy car comes out of it. And all I could think of was in Poltergeist. The car. It took 10 hours to complete yeah. this. <laughs> it was a child's toy. A very small matchbox vehicle just rolled seven feet across a linoleum surface. The duration of the event was seven hours. For the vehicle to complete the distance. Of course, this would never register on the naked eye. But I have it recorded on time-lapse camera. It's fantastic. <laughs> yep. When the guy from Supernatural, the cop, is inside his house, his aunt, like, made art, and there's art all over the house. And yes. so he's looking at it, and he's got this weird look on his face, and... Tommy Ross is just like, or Roger Cobb, is just like, 
my aunt was an artist. And the cop says, yeah, I guess. <laughs> what are you doing? Just looking at this thing here on the wall. My aunt was an artist. Yeah, I guess. There's one of the paintings she did was of gardening tools. <laughs> what do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? 60. 58, actually, out of 12 ratings, a Metacritic of 44, and a cinema score of a C. But what would you give it? Well, I first of all, first of all, overrated or underrated? I think it's slightly underrated. Uh-huh. I'll give it a 70. Yeah, I think 70 is pretty good. I think that's a great score. It is by no means a great movie. A great movie. No. But it is a lot of fun. It is. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I thought I, it was going to be just some stupid schlock movie, and it was stupid, but like intentionally so. Yeah. And so it, it was, was in funny. on the joke, and yeah, it was it was funny. There were genuine laughs that came out of this movie. And, and it was genuinely creepy at times. Yes. Yeah. And and it went in directions I was not expecting. No. And William Cat was fantastic. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was a lot of fun. So good on you, House. If you haven't seen it, even though we explained it, it's worth watching. It's worth Where you know, having some fun. Where did we find it? It's free on Prime Video. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. Maybe get some friends together, some beer, some pizza, and watch the stupid house. <laughs> the famous poster for house is of the disembodied hand. It's not the same exact hand, but no, it's a it's disembodied not. hand, which is supposed to evoke the one that came from the deadite Sandy ringing a doorbell. That's why it's called Ding Dong, You're Dead. All right, that is 1985's House. Before we move on to our next movie, Kelsey, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. In 2007's Trick or Treat, the group of four women are revealed to be what type of monsters? Werewolves. Very good. Yeah. Good transformations in that. Mm -hmm. Where they just kind of like sloth off their skin. Mm -hmm. All right, Kelsey. In Suspiria, 1977, what type of dancer is protagonist Susie Banyan. Ballet. She is a ballet dancer. That's right. It's like interpretive dance or something in the remake. It's a, yeah, it's a modern interpretive take on ballet. The more I think of the remake, the more I'm okay with certain elements I wasn't okay with, but I still I do not like it. <laughs> we'll see it again later. Yeah, we'll see it again. Jeez. All right, our next film is 1999 stir of echoes it's right at that 20 year cutoff so we made a judgment call we're calling this our modern film 1999 stir of echoes starring kevin bacon of course zachary david cope and katherine irby written by david kep based on the novel a stir of echoes by richard matheson and directed by david kep kelsey what is stir of echoes about a man is hypnotized at a party, which opens up his ability to see the supernatural, and he is then privy to a ghost in his home that his son already knew about. <laughs> Good. Should people watch it? Yes. Yeah, it is. It's on stars. 
if you don't want to pay for it. So you got to have a Stars subscription, which we took from our roommate. So thanks, Amanda. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but should, should people should watch it? Yeah, I yeah. like it a lot. I always have. I've always thought it was good. Yeah, I haven't seen it since it came out, and I forgot almost everything about it. And it is kind of desperately late 90s, early 2000s in style. Uh, it, there's a few swerves in there that aren't exactly unpredictable. But if the movie was like just some hack movie, it would have done these certain predictable things. And the movie kind of swerves around those, which mm -hmm. I thought was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. The wife is in turn infuriating and then inspiring and then infuriating again, and then inspiring again. <laughs> so be prepared for that. But Kevin Bacon is spectacular in this. Love he's, Kevin Bacon. He's really good. He's really, really good. But you should watch it. And when we get back, we will talk about 1999's Stir of Echoes. Come on. Hypnotize me. Come on. No. Why not? What's the worst that can happen? What the hell did she do to me? The man's switch got flipped. He's a receiver now. He can't stop it. He can't slow it down. He can't even figure it out. Whatever door you've opened, I want you to shut it. Shut it. Shut it. Stir of Echoes. Rated R. Before we start talking about it, I would like to remind everyone. Oh, yes. Thanks. Awesome. This was a recommendation. This comes from Aaron. So thank you, Aaron. Aaron, thank you so much. I enjoyed Stir of Echoes quite a bit. Yes. I have not seen it in probably going on 20 years now, and I forgot everything about it. <laughs> so thank you for getting us to watch it again. So Kelsey, get us started. How does... Uh... How does Stir of Echoes begin? We open on a little boy taking a bath and talking to someone that his father is just ignoring. His father's in the background playing on his guitar. And the kid is talking to somebody else. Right. But when you were a kid playing with toys in the bath, did you ever... You didn't make them talk to each other and stuff? Or just play talk? I guess. I mean, I don't remember, but it's I guess I did. I don't remember ever having an invisible friend. Me neither. But... I would talk to myself. <laughs> I had no designs around an actual person I was talking to. With you still talk to yourself, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's totally normal. I think what everybody talks is, to themselves every once in a while. What I'm saying is, is it weird that Kevin Bacon ignored his kid while his kid was talking to nobody in the bath? Not really. <laughs> and then when he gets out of the bath, he... He specifically wants his bugs pajamas so that his dad will have to go downstairs so he can continue to talk to Whoa, the person. Didn't even think of that. Yes. Okay. So he goes downstairs and his wife's sister is there. And uh, we find out that the wife is pregnant through the sister. Okay. So we have some key players here. So let's get down to actors and names. All right. So... Jake is the little boy, played by Zachary David Cope. Tom is Kevin Bacon. Maggie is his wife, Catherine Irby. And Lisa is her sister, Ileana Douglas. I feel like we know the, the wife from something. Catherine Irby? She's probably most famous for Criminal Intent. She's the actress who is the partner with Vincent D'Onofrio. Ah! Yeah. Ah! 
And also the sister, we she's been in a lot of things. Yeah, Ileana Douglas is probably most famous for, I guess, maybe Six Feet Under she was in. Was she? Yeah. As who? Angela. She was also in Ghost World. Barely remember her being in Ghost World. I don't remember her being in Six, in Six Feet Under at all. Yeah. Uh, she's She's been in, like... Uh, a fuck ton of things, actually. You know her, I think, is the point. Here. Yes. Yeah. And it's through this conversation about the wife being pregnant that we learn that the father, Kevin Bacon, is in a band, but he's willing to give it up to provide more money for the family so that the wife can stay at home and take time off. Yeah, and... At first, he responds to this by just saying, bummer. You're like, what the fuck, Kevin Bacon? And then he's like, no, it's a bummer because, like, I wanted to play with my band and now I'm not going to get to. I would, I'm more than happy to give that up for my family, for my wife, for my newborn child. I'm more than happy to give that up. But that was something that I wanted to do. Say something. Bummer. Something else. Hey, this is great. I mean it. I think it's about time we had another kid. You know, I was going to bring it up myself one of these days. Really? Absolutely. This time, you got to take some time off, babe. Oh, please. We can't afford that. Yes, we can, because I'm going to hit the overtime again. No, I do not want you to work those hours again. You come home, you're like in a trance. You're completely useless to me. I'm going to be fine, okay? I'm just going to tell Teddy to get somebody else for the thing. Oh, God. Oh, Tom. What? I'm sorry. I completely forgot. No wonder you're pissed off. I'm not pissed off. I just... No, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm a grown man. I, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be screwing around with some shitty band anyway. <laughs> so he's, like, very believable. He's not, like, an over-the-top douchebag or anything like that. He, Kevin Bacon does such a good job in this movie. He is so incredibly believable. He is Like, it just is a human being. <laughs> and... He is upset because he wants, he wanted to do something better with himself. Like, he he just, he he does, um, he clips wires for the electrical company. He's a, he's a lineman for, uh, for the phone company. And so he just always kind of saw himself as doing something more important with yeah. his life. Don't we all, Kevin Bacon? Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, later on in the movie, remember when you said you wanted, you know, something better? Well, I'm what you have, so what you're saying is that, like, you don't want me, and it's, like, some bullshit thing. <laughs> fucking hate. Fucking hate her character. Yes, Chris was not a fan of the wife. And then I started to be. And then I wasn't again. And then by the end, she kind of zeroes out. So the reason the sister is over is because the neighbors are throwing a giant block party. So... They're leaving the kid asleep upstairs in his bedroom. They're taking the baby monitor with them in case he needs anything, but they're going to be right across the street. Right. They're right outside their house. Really. So it's not a problem. Yeah. When we say block party, you know, if you've never been to a block party, it's just basically they shut down the street and everyone's just hanging out in the middle of the street. So they oh. are literally right outside their front. They're not inside. The, I mean, sorry. I'm sorry. They're not out in the street. They are at a person's house, but the whole block is there. Oh, I'm thinking of the party that's later on. Yeah. After he sees the the, yeah. the girl. Yeah. No, I'm talking about the first one yeah. inside the house. They are inside the house. But, like, the entire block is uh -huh. there. <laughs> 
So they go to this big, big party, but eventually everyone else is gone except for our main people. So we've got Kevin Bacon, his wife, wife's sister, and we've got some neighbors. Yes, probably most importantly is Kevin Dunn playing Frank. And why do we know him? He's also been in a lot of things, um, but he's he's the dad in the Transformers movies. <laughs> That's probably where you know him from. He plays Ron Witwicky. He's been in a lot of things. Yeah. And so they're all kind of making fun of the wife's sister because she's very much into a lot of hippie things. And one thing she is talking about this evening is hypnosis, and they are all saying bullshit. Yeah, she's like, I'm basically a hypnotherapist, a licensed hypnotherapist. Or she says she's almost or something. And Kevin Bacon's like, that's another way of saying you're not a licensed hypnotherapist. (laughs) (laughs) But so he says... Somebody challenges, dares her. They're like, okay, fine. So hypnotize somebody here. And that's when Kevin Bacon says, yeah, hypnotize me. Yeah. And she's like, no. And she has all these different reasons. And he's just like, come on, what's the worst that could happen? So then we get this fun hypnosis scene. Yes. So this is a theater in Joliet, Illinois. It's a real theater. And as she's describing to him the things he should be imagining in his head, we actually see that from his perspective, which is, I think, pretty unique. And she tells him, you're sitting in the middle of the theater, everything's black, everything's painted black, and as she's saying this, the real theater is being painted black. Nobody's there, you're by yourself, the screen turns on, you see some large block letters, but you can't make out what they say because they're so blurry, so you float closer to the screen And when you get there, you know, he sees sleep or whatever it is, right? And so he's hypnotized. And this is a really cool cut, too, because because we're seeing things from his perspective, the next thing he knows, she's waking him up. And everyone's like, holy shit, that was the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Because he was apparently really doing stuff, including shoving a safety pin through his hand. And they got a clip of somebody doing that. It's just like a stuntman or a stage performer or something like that doing that. And he's feeling really fucked up in the head. Because he, he started telling a story about a guy who had beat him up when he was like 12. Yeah, and he's like, I haven't thought about him in years. Yeah, they're like, you were crying and moaning. It was hysterical. <laughs> what? What? Wow, what? Are you okay? You were faking it. You, you that had was to the faking. weirdest goddamn thing I've seen in my life. Yeah, was- yeah, you were very cooperative. It was a side of you I hadn't seen before. That happened. You said it didn't hurt. The hell with the pin. I want to know more about uh, Joey Luca. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, don't. That's Joey Luca was a kid who used to pound the shit out of you when you were 12. <laughs> you told us all about it. You were crying and moaning. It was hysterical. Shut up. Huh? The guy's a douchebag. Yeah. Now, they do have this really loud note in there because they were worried that people would actually get hypnotized by the movie. <laughs> so they play this really loud noise when uh, right after she tells him to sleep. They do use the term mesmerize. Yes, they do. Mesmerize comes from Franz Anton Mesmer. He was a really weird scientist, in quotes. He came up with this concept called animal magnetism, and it's really convoluted, and it's really ridiculous. But part of that me is about like controlling other living things, putting them under your spell, basically. That's where the term mesmerize comes from. 
Franz Anton Mesmer from the uh, 1700s. Interesting. Yeah. So he goes home and he he's feeling very strange. So they go to sleep. But while they're sleeping, his wife gets frisky. Yeah. But while they're about to have sex, he starts to see someone's death. And as he's laying there on the bed with his head kind of tilted a little up on the pillow and his clavicle exposed, I expected an arrow to come piercing through from the back, (laughs) through the front of his neck, just like in Friday the 13th. It just really reminded me of that staging. I don't know why. But that did not happen. Did not happen, no. He sees, like... The tooth come out, and he sees the nail yeah. coming off. And these are all just flashes of images, and we don't know what they are. Yeah, and he he freaks out. And so he gets up, and he's like, oh, my God, I'm just, I'm just so thirsty. Did you notice that he was only drinking orange juice? No. I wondered. That's, like, a thing? Yeah, he's constantly drinking orange juice. I have no idea if that's intended to mean anything. <laughs> And as I said earlier, the son has been seeing this ghost for a while now. And at one point, the kid says, you're awake now, Daddy. Hey, Jake. You're awake now, Daddy. You okay? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I still feel so good right now. Don't be afraid of it, Daddy. Mm-hmm. So it's like he he got woken up. He also tells him, don't be afraid of it, Daddy. So then, Kevin Bacon and his wife are planning on going out, so they need a babysitter. Yeah. This is also after he he challenges Lisa. One day he actually calls up Lisa when he's up on a telephone pole, and he gives her a call and is like, what the fuck did you put in my head? Because he's really starting to, to trip out. He sees this girl one time on the couch. He pulls out his tooth and he's bleeding everywhere. And then that stuff just disappears. And so he's like, what the fuck did you put in my head? And she's like, nothing. What are you accusing me of? And he's like, I just didn't know if you put like some suggestion or anything. It's like, I wouldn't do that. That's horrible that you would accuse me of that. Besides, it wasn't even a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) She put a suggestion in his head while he was under that he should be more open minded. And he took that literally, and it opened his mind to perceive things that other people cannot see. Because he always had that ability, he just didn't know it. Right. I mean, we we learn later that it is, in fact, more powerful through a genetic line as well, which is why the kid's able to, to see things, because he's Kevin Bacon's son. And Kevin Bacon has this latent ability. So they decide they're going to go to this big... Football game. Football game. And they hire a babysitter and they didn't have one and they're looking for one. And the mom is talking on the phone to somebody and the kid is like, hey, you should ask for Debbie. Oh, who told you about Debbie? Samantha. Like, what the fuck is this? Okay, whatever. I guess I'll give. Do you know Debbie? Yeah, I know Debbie. She's great. Okay, fantastic. And they hire Debbie. To, to watch their kid, even though they don't know her from Adam. But every time Kevin Bacon looks at her, he hears this humming and the screen turns red. And it happens a few times during the sequence. And it's really effective at, at like, stressing you out. <laughs> call Vanessa. Huh? I said call Vanessa and ask her about Debbie. Uh, anyway, call me back. Bye. Debbie? That's the girl who babysits for them? Yep. Oh, great idea. Pray she's free. How'd you know about Debbie? 
Samantha told me. Hey, Vanessa. Are you guys going out Friday night? Hi, I'm Debbie. Like, you feel kind of what he feels. And so all of his reactions are understandable. When he, like, pauses and people are like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> You're like, no, if I was in his position, I would probably be acting weird, too. Uh, but he sees these weird flashes of red and weird humming sounds and everything. But they decide to leave. And they walk to this high school football game. And as he is going through security... We see shots of stuff going on at home, and the boy talks about Samantha. Samantha. and how it's always dark where she is. And Debbie's like, what the fuck did you say? <laughs> and we come to find out that Samantha is Debbie's sister who disappeared. They say ran away, but she didn't believe it. And so she starts flipping out. And... We come to find out that as people are like telling Kevin Bacon, get going, move, we're trying to get through. And he's just stopped at the security checkpoint. She's taking him away. She's taking him away. Yeah. We realize that he's seeing the stuff that that we just saw. Or not necessarily seeing. He's getting that impression. Yes, yes, yes. And so he runs away. And his wife, who's already through security, kind of sees him and starts chasing after him. But she's a little bit behind. And he runs home and the doors open and he runs inside and Jake's gone. And his wife shows up and is like, what's going on? And he's like, she, she took Jake. She took Jake. And she goes to go inside and he stops her. She's, he's not in there. And they, they go running through town trying to find him. And he's following this red humming. And he ends up getting to a train station. They're like, oh, my God, she's straight up kidnapping him, trying to get away. They find her and they cause a big commotion. And the babysitter, Debbie, is, like, yelling at them, and they're yelling at her for taking their kid. And the cops are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's stop all of this. And they're like, she took our kid. And the cop's like, did you take her kid? It's like, ask him how he knows about Samantha or whatever it is that she says. <laughs> and it's like, you came to a train station to steal our kid. And she's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and Kevin Bacon's like, well, then why did you come to a train station? And it's revealed that that's because that's where Debbie's mom works. And she was taking Jake to Debbie's mom because she thought that Jake knew something. And really, he doesn't know much. He just talks to Samantha. So ultimately, when... Debbie shows everyone a picture of Samantha and Kevin Bacon realizes that's the girl I've been seeing. He's like, no, I don't want to press charges. I just want to take my kid and go. <laughs> and the wife is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he's like, no, just leave it. And as they get away, he tells her that's the girl I've been seeing because Kevin Bacon has been open with his wife about all of this. He's been seeing things. Yeah. And the wife realizes, oh, shit, when my kid said that we needed to get Debbie, he said he got her name from Samantha. Samantha. Yeah. So they take him home, and they're asking him about it, and the kid's just totally ignoring them. And then the kid's voice changes into, like, this... Yes. Like, deep, slow-mo sound. And it's stop like, asking him about that, or whatever it is that it says. Stop asking the boy, talk to me. Is Samantha someone who talks to you sometimes, Jake? Can you remember any of the things that Don't you... ask the boy any more questions. Talk to me. Yeah, that's it. Uh, but when that 
sparks a fire inside of Kevin Bacon. It's like, do it again, do it again. And like, I I need you to talk to me because you obviously know something about what's going on with me. And then the wife starts losing her shit. And he's not, he's, yes, he's excited, but he doesn't hit the kid. He doesn't hurt the kid. And the kid doesn't seem that freaked out. He's just not talking. And yet she is losing her goddamned mind (laughs) over this. And it's driving me crazy. And he takes the kid downstairs and he's like, okay, can you tell me this thing? What about this thing? What about this thing? And yes, he is very excited. And the kid's just kind of looking at him. Meanwhile, the mom's behind him yelling at him. He's like, would you just shut up and let me talk to the kid and the kid's like i don't want to talk about this and he says why and the kid says because it scares mommy i don't want to talk about this because it scares mommy see mom (laughs) that was just a little bit of the thing but i hate her so much that it just really takes it out in me (laughs) (laughs) so kevin bacon kind of loses it after that he stops going to work yeah He just keeps waiting for images of Samantha to show up, something to happen. And they go to an actual block party where they're on the street and hanging out. And he starts asking everybody about Samantha. Hey, do you remember, do you know who Samantha is? So they, they just moved back to this town a couple of months ago into a new place that they're renting from one of the residents nearby. And... Asking around about Samantha and nobody knows. And they're like, oh, yeah, isn't that that one girl and yada, yada, yada. Oh, that retard. Yeah. Don't use that word. And then (laughs) the guy starts beating him up. And then the mom says, somebody's always got to ruin it. Yeah. What about you? Do you know her? Who? Uh, Tom was asking about that Kozak girl from over by Baldwin. You remember the the, the one who ran away? The retard. Shut up, Lenny. Don't use that word. You're just kind of slow. What? Retard? God damn it, Lenny. Why don't you shut your fucking pie hole before I shut it for you, will you? Somebody's always got to ruin it. Can't ever just be nice. Because they started a fight. So, when I first saw this in theaters, I thought it was a little strange that that guy had such an angry reaction to the word retard. And this neighbor, who earlier in the film jokes about the fact that, oh, you were screaming and moaning, it was hysterical, is now like, don't use that word retard. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that's weird that this guy, like, they're creating an archetype, but those archetypes are conflicting? Yes. And so, you know there's something going on here. You don't know what's up. I just remember very specifically being like, that was a weird reaction for that particular character. Yeah. But we meet a few people. We meet the guy who owns their house. That's the dude. We meet their their neighbor guy, and we meet their kids, their sons, who are high football school team. football players. And we learn a little bit about Samantha and how she disappeared some six months ago. Pretty much a little before they moved into this house. Yeah. We also get a weird dream after that for Kevin Bacon. He wakes up and his neighbor is there, the one who beat the other guy up. And he says, they're going to kill you. And Kevin Bacon's like, what? (laughs) And he's like, they're going to kill you. And he leaves to go over to that guy's house and he finds his son in there. And his son says, hey, you want to see what I got? 
and it's a gun, and Kevin Bacon's freaking out, and he's like, put it away, put it away. Kid ends up killing himself and then putting his blood all over his face, and then Kevin Bacon wakes up. Yes, and then he starts, things start to happen that <laughs> happened in his dream, and I really liked this because it doesn't take a lot. You know how you're screaming at characters in movies sometimes when they, like, have a dream that tells the future, and then a thing happens, and they're like, huh, that's weird, and then another thing happens, and they're like, huh, oh well, and then they go on, and then another thing happens, and you're just like, just recognize that you saw the future in your fucking dream. It's not a coincidence. And so one thing happens, and Kevin Bacon's like, oh, God, I'm missing my shoe. Oh, please don't be under the couch. Please don't be under the couch. And it's under the couch. And he's like, fuck, I just saw the future. And so he opens up the door. But the guy's not there. The guy's not there. And so he runs to get the kid and he's banging on the door and then a gun goes off and he smashes through the window and he finds the kid. The kid shot himself in the chest and he's almost dead. He does get saved and taken away by an ambulance and there's this whole commotion. And obviously the dad, Kevin Dunn and his wife, they're very upset and stressed out by this. So while this is happening, Maggie and Jake are going for a walk and they pass by a cemetery where there's a policeman's funeral. Listen, music, it's beautiful. It's bagpipes. As the kid says. Hey, bagpipes are great. If you didn't know, I am white. (laughs) And he kind of hones in on this one man whose name is Neil. This one police officer. And Maggie comes up and grabs him and is like, I don't think we're supposed to be here. And takes him away. And they go exploring the cemetery. And then the guy creepily watches them. Yeah. And he comes up to them. And he's like, hey, I know your kid's got a gift. He's got the Shannon. The Shannon. (laughs) Do you want to get sued? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then. My grandma used to say it was the Shannon. (laughs) Do you like ice cream? (laughs) (laughs) She called it shiny. So he explains that, hey, I know your kid's got something special. And I know that your husband's freaking out. And so. No, he knows that she doesn't have it. So the dad must have it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and he's like, did this happen to your husband? She's like, yes. How about this? Yes. And it's like, this is important, folks. Maggie gets told by a complete stranger exactly what's going on with her husband. She's worried about her husband. She's freaking out about her husband. A stranger comes up who knows her son's name and whose name her son knows without ever having introduced each other, tells her exactly what's going on with her husband and then says, tell your husband to meet us here at this time and to come alone. So what does she do? Doesn't tell him jack shit about this. Because she doesn't think that he would listen. She doesn't believe shit. Bullshit. She does not hesitate to give Kevin Bacon so much fucking shit about everything that he's going through. And when somebody comes by, magically knows exactly what's wrong with her husband, predicts exactly what he is doing, and then says he will be like this until he solves this problem for a ghost. And she's like, what are you doing, Kevin Bacon? And he's like, I'm trying to solve a problem for a ghost. And she's like, fuck you, you're a bad husband and a bad father and da 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 da. And it's like, dude fucking told you this was gonna happen. And if you wanted to 
stop. He needs to save this ghost. And you're trying to get him to not do that? What kind of fucking rationality is that? Yes, what he's doing is scary, but you were told this was going to happen. How have you not expected this? How have you not come to terms with this yet? When everyone else is so fucking rational, especially when you're talking like Kevin Bacon, when he takes one thing to match what happened in his dream to guess, did I dream the future? Test that theory and prove it and accept it. She's had all of that except for the acceptance. What the fuck more does she want? I fucking hate her. <laughs> so anyway, she goes without him to this meeting. Okay. There are a lot of issues I have with what you just said. Uh-huh. First of all, just because you're telling somebody that something is happening and they kind of believe you, that doesn't mean that they believe you intrinsically. That doesn't mean that every single thing that comes out of your mouth is going to be true. Sure. Think about poltergeist Mm -hmm. after all the shit that he saw he still didn't quite believe that a woman could read minds see the future yeah and he was wrong yeah and so is the wife yeah but she puts her husband's life in danger as a result okay I don't know that she does that. And she's like threatens to break up with him, get a divorce, take his kid away. No, she doesn't. She's like, yeah, she is. She's like, this is ridiculous and it needs to stop. When she was told prior to her saying that exactly how to get it to stop and she rejects it out of hand. That's her deal. Not his. That's hers. I'm just saying you're you're saying like, what else does it take for her to believe in this shit? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, you are the one who told me that it was understandable that the father and poltergeist yeah. might be. And what happens? He's like, oh, this is ridiculous. A psychic. And then she does one thing to prove that she's a psychic by hearing him from across the house when he's whispering. And he accepts it from then on. He stops questioning yeah, but she her. never has that. She, th- this wife never has anything that. That confirms what he's saying. Except when Neil tells her exactly what her husband's doing and exactly what's going on with her husband and knows her kid's name and her kid knows his name. Everything that Neil predicted came true both before and after he said it. And she's still like, what on earth could be the solution to my problems? She doesn't even fucking try to figure out what this ghost wants or to join in with her husband. And when she comes home... And he is digging up the backyard one day (laughs) with Jake because, okay, he goes back to Lisa and is like, you need to close my mind. It does not work because when he goes to that theater, there's somebody else there. And she's like, no, no, there's nobody else there. You're all alone. He's like, no, there's somebody else there. No, no, there's big words on the screen. Float towards the screen. And now I'm floating towards Samantha. (laughs) (laughs) And he sees her. And then when he looks up and sees the words on the screen, it says dig. So he decides to dig up his backyard and he Jake's helping him and he she comes home and she's like, what the fuck is going on? And he's like, OK, so there's this ghost. Her name is Samantha. She wants me to dig. Oh, yeah. No, I heard about this guy named Neil who said you need to help out a ghost. I'm not going to mention that right now because I apparently want to sabotage you. All she can you. see is that her husband is destroying yes. her backyard. Yes, and she wants his weird behavior to stop. And when someone literally told her it will not stop until X, and then her husband says, "Hey, I'm trying to do X." She doesn't put two and two together at all. 
It's so infuriating. But anyway, that's not the point. I'm spending too much time on Maggie. So anyway, he's digging up and there's this really cute exchange. He's like, and what's Jake doing? He's helping. Don't worry. The body's not there. (laughs) And what's Jake doing? Jake is helping. Tom, can you turn around and look at me while I'm talking to you? Exactly. Don't you understand? I'm supposed to dig. Why are you digging? I'm searching. What are you searching for? The question is not what. I think we both know very well what, even if we don't want to admit it. Question, Maggie. But you can plainly see I am very busy trying to answer. The question is where? Don't worry, he's okay. It's not over there. She goes inside. And... She gets a fax because people get faxes in 1999. She gets a fax from her brother saying that their grandmother is in the hospital. And when she tells that to Kevin Bacon, he says, what? Oh, no, she's. Oh, shit. And she's like, what about my grandma, Kevin Bacon? And she gets a phone call. And when she answers the phone. He gets up, he's like, oh, shit. He gets up and he leaves. And she gets the phone call from her brother saying she passed away. Now, your husband knew ahead of time that your grandmother was going to die. Yet another proof that he's psychic in some way. And yes, you're upset because your grandmother passed away. She practically raised you. I, this is where I have sympathy for her. But she's like, you need to come with me. And he's like, are you insane? I'm nuts right now, and I'm trying to fix my nuts. I can't do that with you. You want a nuts person coming with you to this funeral? She's like, I just want you coming with me to this funeral. And so that's where I'm like, I sympathize with her here. Like that, I get it. I understand that. But he's like, nah, you should probably go and you should take Jake, get him out of here. I'm going to pursue this on my own. And he keeps digging up. And that's when, when she leaves, that's when he decides to start tearing up the floor in the basement because there's nothing in the backyard. And so he starts checking out the basement. He starts taking a pickaxe to the basement and he goes through the floor in the kitchen and he doesn't find anything. And she calls him. And he's like, no, nah, it's cool. Everything's cool. I feel a lot better now. And she's like, well, you should come up here. And he's like, what? No, that doesn't make any sense. I'm really exhausted. I'm going to get some sleep. She's like, no, I'm coming to get you. And he's like, shit. And then we see, and we see the whole place is torn yeah, up. Yeah, he's been tor- tearing up the bottom of their floor. Yeah, the whole place is just completely torn up. And so that's when he goes into the basement and he and he digs up that. But he ends up... It's still not in the basement. No, but he ends up finding a loose brick and a brick wall down in their basement. And he starts tearing away the brick wall. And this is where he finds the dead body of Samantha. There it is. And he reaches out and he touches her. And we get a flashback. And we see Samantha, played by Jennifer Morrison, who is Swan on Once Upon a Time. And when I first saw her, I thought she was Snow White from Once Upon a Time. Jennifer, whatever her name is. (laughs) And no, it's her daughter character, Swan, from Once Upon a Time. Do I know too much about Once Upon a Time? Maybe. Couple of things. 
when he's pulling out the bricks, there's like no mortar. It's right, it's totally dry. It's just, just such a shit other. job. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we see a flashback and we see this girl. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing. He opens up and there's a dead body in there. He starts touching shit. He feels compelled to. Ah, yeah, no, I understand this. touch anything. I understand that, but he feels compelled to reach out and touch her like it's not really his choice. So we get a flashback and we see Samantha walking by and we see Kevin Dunn's son and the other high school kid. They're hanging out in this, I mean, I guess you could say abandoned house, which is Kevin Bacon's house. Yeah, before he moved in, before it was done being made. And it's St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Which I did not know. So we could watch this for St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> but they're drunk and hanging out and listening to music or whatever. And they invite her in because they think she's hot. She's also really slow so they can take advantage of her. Yes. And, and they tell her like, oh, we've got a surprise for you. And they get her inside and it's very clear that she's that they're drunk. And she's just like, I don't think there is a surprise. But yeah, they keep I should her go. in there. And, and they take off her coat. Yeah, and it it's they it escalates it escalates and um, they pretty much want to rape her. Yes, they don't get to because she fights back and she's screaming. She won't stop screaming, and their their decision to get her to stop screaming is to put a bag over her head because apparently they have no idea how oxygen works. Like it's the dumbest thing because the idea. I don't think that they're supposed to be doing it in a malicious manner. No, I don't think no, that no, no, they're no. trying to kill her. They're just drunk and panicky. I guess, but like, how dumb do you have to fucking be? They're pretty dumb. <laughs> they're pretty dumb. Plus, there it's the two guys and the one who who did the bag. I can't remember which of the sons it is. Uh, is a little bit slower than the other. You know, he's kind of a moron. I think he's the one who killed himself. Okay, Kevin Dunn's character, yes. character's son. Yeah, so. He's the one who does it. And so the other one's like, what the fuck did you do? It's like, I, she, she, I had to stop her screaming. Do not put that in here. <laughs> That's like almost literally what he says. Yes. <laughs> he fucking kills her, you dick. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to lighten the mood here. Trying to lighten the mood. <laughs> We're talking about a girl who's always raped and then murdered. Yes, I understand. It's pretty heavy. So we get this flashback and we see that... She's holding her coat, and she has somebody's hair in her hand because she ripped out somebody's hair in, in the fight. And so Kevin Bacon goes to Kevin Dunn's As a courtesy house. because his son is in a coma. Yes. <laughs> and like, I know. Sorry, but I need to tell right. the world that your son did this. He says, he says to him, he says to him, he says, I think your son and this other dude's son did something really bad, and I'm going to tell the police. But I figured, since we're such good friends, I owed you the courtesy of letting you know ahead of time. And so he takes him over to the house, and the guy's like, oh, hold on, just let me grab something real quick, right? And it's like, right away, you know, he's getting a gun! He's getting a gun! Very obviously. Yes. And he does. So he takes him into the basement, and he shows the body, and he's like... And there's hair, and I think they'll be able to identify your kids from that hair. And Kevin Dunn pulls out the gun, which you were expecting. And then Kevin Bacon's like, whoa, 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 hold on. Hold on a minute. 
don't do this. <laughs> that would be bad. And and he tells him, go upstairs. And Kevin Bacon's like, no, I'm not going to go upstairs. And, and this is when you start to realize he's not going to kill Kevin Bacon. He's going to kill himself. This is when you start to realize. And they say so, too. I think he says, he like, says, we didn't know what we to do. We didn't know what to do. Yeah. They already knew about it. And they're they the ones that covered cover it, up. it up. Yes. And so while this is all happening, the other kid who didn't shoot himself sees Kevin Bacon digging up in the in the And they had heard him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was screaming when he was doing the jackhammer and everything. But anyway, he goes upstairs, then he hears the gun go off. And then he goes to the front door, and sure enough, it's this other guy, the guy who owns the house, going, Hey. What's going on in here? Let's hang out. Let's hang out here's here with your son. And he knows right off the bat. He's like, oh, God, you're going to kill me. <laughs> yes. And he tells him a story about how, oh, the water main, it's leaking. There's a lot of damage. And so I was trying to fix it for you. That's why all this digging is happening. And the dude's like, the water main doesn't run through the house, underneath the house. Well, I know that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was Kevin Smith's response. Kevin Smith. That was Kevin Bacon's response. It was pretty great. Water main doesn't run under the house. Well, I know that now. And this is when you, you know, it's revealed. You kind of knew, but it's, it becomes obvious that the the real estate dad and his son know that he found out what's going on and are going to kill him, and they start fighting him. This is around the time when Maggie shows up. She earlier took a knife from her husband to go visit Neil, the cop, and do nothing with that information. (laughs) (laughs) And so she still has a knife in her purse. And when she sees or hears a commotion or gets a weird feeling, she takes the knife out of her purse and she goes in and there's this fight going on and she gets attacked. She stabs the, the dude in the in the foot and it's pretty great actually. Yeah. yeah, no, she's she's kind of badass in this moment. And it's kind of badass when she takes the knife in the first place. And see what I'm saying? Like it goes like a roller coaster with you liking her and hating her. Or I should say me liking her and hating her. <laughs> and then Kevin Dunn comes out and ends up shooting the dad right before he's going to kill Kevin Bacon. And he hadn't actually killed himself. What did he do down there when he fired the gun? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. They don't bother explaining it. (laughs) But that's sort of the end of the movie. We get Samantha. Kevin Bacon sees Samantha out on the street. She puts on her coat, which he's been seeing in a lot of his visions, and she walks away. And she was stuck in there, obviously. Yeah. You see several versions and all that of her walking away. And then they're moving because obviously they don't want to live there anymore. (laughs) They're moving. And as they're driving away, we hear a lot of ghost voices. And as they're driving by, we hear them as they're like coming from the houses that they're driving by. And then the camera kind of zooms in on Jake. And he is obviously hearing these voices. And we get kind of the perception that this is either what he's like all the time or after all this stuff happening, his mind has opened even further. Yes, and he just kind of shuts out the sound. And I did not know what that was supposed to mean. I didn't know if they were getting ready to like do a sequel or maybe that's just the way the book ends and so they needed to end it that way. There is a sequel. I know there is. And Jake is in it. The, The actual actor? The character. 
Oh. But there's like, there's not a lot. Like so he's, he's kind like of an a, adult. He's kind of a side character. Yes, he's an adult. It was a made-for-TV movie on sci-fi <laughs> called Stir of Echoes Homecoming. And he's kind of a minor side character. And it really doesn't have to be a Stir of Echoes movie at all, apparently. So, lightning around, Kelsey. I wrote down, as much as I dislike her in the beginning, I also love how involved she is. She's proactive, winky face. Excuse me, but proactive and paradigm, aren't these just buzzwords that dumb people use to sound important? But seriously, she's the fucking worst. I, I like, wrote later because, like, I dislike her. And then she does something cool and proactive. I'm fired, aren't I? Oh, yes. And I'm like, okay. No, no, I, I just disliked her in the beginning. Now I kind of like her. And then she does something shitty again. And it's like just all over the place. Can we talk about the coincidences in the movie? What coincidences? <laughs> so there are a string of coincidences in the movie that all lead towards what happens in the end. When Maggie stabs the dude in the foot, he rears back and he fires the gun he was going to shoot one of them with in the air. It goes through the ceiling into Jake's room and the bullet goes through his pillow. This was something I wanted to talk about. (laughs) So when she was at the funeral, she left Jake with Lisa and she wanted to take to take Jake with her. But Jake was like, I don't want to go. And she says, why not? I'm scared. What are you scared of? The feathers. Now he has a down pillow. But, like, he wouldn't have been in bed by that point. The commotion happened, like, but it's just a vision that he sees and he's scared of that. He knows that something bad is going to happen and he doesn't want to be there when it happens. But he does remind her to take her purse and that's where her knife is. So there are, like, those sorts of coincidences throughout all the movie But at no point really does the movie ever flash back to the setup again, because, and this is one of the things I really liked about this movie, is it respects you as an audience member to follow along and and catch on to this stuff. And it doesn't like, hey, are you an idiot? Let me show this to you again. (laughs) It doesn't do any of that stuff, which I appreciated. It's just, hey, we're going to show you some stuff and don't worry, it'll be okay. It'll all make sense. And it does, and they don't, like, call you an idiot by trying some of these tropey things by, oh, remember when we foreshadowed this? They just foreshadow it. It's just an event that happens, and you either pick up on it or you don't. And I really, really appreciated that. I thought it did that very effectively. At one point, Samantha is getting very upset with the boy because he's not doing all the things she wants him to do. And so he's, like, watching... I feel like he's watching H.R. Puffin stuff based on what they show. Mm. But it makes no sense that he would be doing that in 1999. It's very strange. But so he's watching some kids show because his mother forced him to turn off a monster movie that he keeps trying to watch. Uh And Samantha keeps putting it back on there. A different movie. She puts on another scary movie. It's not the same movie. Oh, do you know what the movies are? Is that uh, why I, I know one of them is Night of the Living Dead. But it's really funny because she keeps changing the channel and he's like, I said no. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I don't want to talk right now. Hey. <laughs> Thanks, Colonel. Thanks, all of you. I said no! 
It's really, really kind of cute. It keeps changing back to like these zombies ripping out a dude dude's guts. Uh, but yeah, he's like, hey, mom said no. <laughs> there was a part where she's starting to show him things and Kevin Bacon reaches out to touch her and it makes him lose all of the breath inside of him so that he can know that she was strangled to death. Yeah. But he's, like, reaching out to touch her, and it looks completely different in his mind. Yeah. And then when his wife comes in and touches him, and he gets the air back into him, the room changes. And I thought that was cool. Yeah, there's so there's a shot that's really famous. It looks like he's yelling at somebody, where he's got, like, this, his mouth is wide open, and he has, like, this kind of angry face look on him. But if I remember correctly, he's not yelling at anybody. This is him, like... In 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 a trance and and in pain, like he does a really good job. I really really like Kevin Bacon in this movie. Like as an actor, I thought he did a very good job. My wife says if I keep watching Kevin Bacon movies, I'll turn into Kevin Bacon. And my wife says if I watch any more Kevin Bacon, I might actually turn into Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Tremors. I do a Kevin Bacon impression. This valley just one long smorgasbord. They're under the gram. It's Tremors. For those of you that don't know, Kelsey is referencing a commercial that Direct Kevin TV. Bacon was it Direct TV or I was it something so. else? I think it might have been something else uh, where he plays the world's biggest Kevin Bacon fan. <laughs> it's really, it's really cute. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? Eighty nine. 67%. Wow. Kevin Bacon's acting is so genuine that it's creepy, and director David Kep shows how to create true suspense. Metacritic of 67 as well. Cinema score of B. So people walked out of this feeling okay. Overrated or underrated? Way underrated. I agree. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 79. That's so funny. I was going to give it a 78. So, yeah, no, I think it's I think it's definitely that good. It's very good. If it yeah. was scarier, it would be higher. Yeah, it's not that scary. It's yeah. it's it's a very simple story. It's a horror movie because there are ghost elements. Like yeah, ghost elements. Otherwise, it's more of a thriller, mm -hmm. which it was very stressful and it did stress really well when he doesn't know what's going on with him. And the movie really got you inside his head. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I liked it too. So thank you, Aaron, for suggesting this to us. Yes, thank you, Again. Aaron. It was on the list, but I brought it up for you. Yeah. So that is this week's episode with 1985's House and 1999's Stir of Echoes. What are we watching next week? Next week is another recommendation week. This one comes to us from Anthony. So thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Anthony. We're going to be watching a movie I've never seen. Two movies I've never seen. Reanimator and Beyond Reanimator. Yes, part one and part three of yeah. a series. Yeah, what the heck, Anthony? <laughs> but I think that's okay. But we haven't seen the second one. Second one's Bride of Reanimator, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's fine. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. <laughs> We'll have to go back and watch the second one later. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that the lore is all that important. 
even though it is based on an H.P. Lovecraft story with a very similar name. So if you haven't seen that movie, watch along with us for next week. Until then, you can always reach us on our website, podcemetery.com. You can spell that the same way that's showing up on your screen when you're listening to us. So you shouldn't have any trouble spelling that at all. But if you want to spell it the traditional way you spell cemetery, you go right ahead. That'll take you there, too. I pay $20 a year for the privilege. (laughs) On the website there, you can browse all of our episodes along with a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. Great way to dive into our back catalog if you're just catching up. You can leave a comment, share your thoughts on the movies, or recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode, just like Aaron or Anthony. You can also email us at podcemetery at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. Oftentimes, I'll add comments that I think of after the mics are off or share stuff that's more visually oriented, things that don't necessarily translate well in the podcast that I think would be interesting to share with you guys. And Kelsey will uh, live tweet random horror movies that she watches. Recently, she watched something called... Mercy Black. And how was that, Kelsey? Eh? I remember the twist being different twist, from what I expected it to it be. It twists twice, and I liked I liked both of them. Yeah, I came home, it was towards the end of the movie. I only got the twist, but she was explaining about how it's kind of a, hey, remember the Slender Man killing, or attempted killing. In real life, the girl didn't actually die. But there's a real story about that. This is a movie that kind of follows along with that same plot. Yeah. So... Follow along with Kelsey as she watches these things from time to time if you follow us on our Twitter, at Pod Cemetery. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written reviews are always the most helpful. Even more helpful than that, though, is sharing us with your friends. And even better than that is listening in the GD first place. So thank you all very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Any last words, Kelsey? It doesn't surprise me that there's another woman. Of course, the fact that she's dead gives one pause. I don't wanna be buried in a big cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't wanna be buried in a big cemetery. Addicted to the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape Moldings and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones There'll be peace when you are done What is his name? I'm gonna find his name Give me a second, I'll find his name Uh, Officer... Just called cop number four. Plot. The plot of House. We waited too long between recordings and now Kelsey is sick. It's true. So I says to Mabel, I says, wrecked him. Damn near killed him. Uh, (laughs) That's going to get cut. Don't worry. What's his face? You know. Yes, that one. What's his face?